to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode 103 with the fabulous Julie Largent of Pennsylvania. And actually, she is my dear friend. We were college roommates at OBU in our freshman year. We lived in the basement of WMU with Susan Baker Davenport, room 107, my friends. And we had a ball together. She is the kind of person that just has a contagious laugh. She is such a good friend and loves her friends well and has been following the Lord faithfully on her journey with him as long as I've known her. And I just treasure, treasure her friendship to this day. So we're just thrilled to welcome her on Afraid Not today. I wish we would have gotten a few more like college stories about you, Robin. (laughs) But we didn't. Just a little bit. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) Julie is going to talk about um, what it was like going through a divorce of her parents as an adult and um, how that rocked her world. So if you have been through divorce, your family's been through divorce, this is, you're going to resonate with something in this story. So listen in. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to welcome you to Afraid Not. And listeners, we are about to have a fun conversation with an amazing friend that actually I met when we were both in middle school. (laughs) And uh, I had a little ponytail and was quite the little Miss Pris. Yeah. (laughs) But Julie and I were college roommates and had so much fun at OBU and all kinds of tales of laughter um, happened in our dorm room. She's actually one of the most fun people ever in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, she's like, raise the <laughs> Julie, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, my name is Julie Largent, and I am um, married to Gibson Largent for, it'll be 24 years this November. And we currently live in a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I'm a Northeastern girl. Never thought that would happen. Um, But my husband is a pastor, was a church planter. He helped plant a church about, I think we're nine years ago now. And um, he also worked some for NAM in training church planters. And so we have a precious church family here called Ridgeline Community Church in Souderton, Pennsylvania. And we just love it. Um, I have four kids. My oldest is Kennedy. She is a senior at OBU. And then I have Ellie, who is a freshman in college. She's staying local, going to a school here. 
And then my one and only son, Grayson, is a junior in high school. And then my baby, Lily, is in seventh grade currently. So, yeah, that's my family. And you've been in uh, the Northeast part of the United States for years and years now, haven't you? I think since 08. I mean, Kennedy was in fourth grade when we moved here. Actually, half of, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. She was first grade when we moved here. So it's been a long, long time when we were in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And this guy kept calling one of my husband's college roommates kept calling saying, hey, we want you to come here. And we thought, no, we're going back to Oklahoma. We're not going to Pennsylvania. And this is where the Lord led us. And I remember calling my mom saying, mom, how far is too far? And she <laughs> said, do I need a passport? I said, no. She was okay. We're good. She goes, I fly to see you now. I'll fly to see you there. So yeah, we've been up here a long time. What was the culture shock like when you got there? You know, this is, this is going to be funny, but when we first moved here, it was right before Christmas and Kennedy was in first grade. So she jumped right into the school and I'm meeting people and, you know, sometimes in the Midwest or the South, you kind of have the like sugary sweet, you know? And so if you're talking to somebody and their language might get a little, you know, off colored and they find out my husband's a pastor, it's like they totally clean it up. Right. Right. Up here, not so much. And (laughs) I've grown to appreciate that. And I remember sitting there talking to a group of moms and I was like, oh, what brought you here? I said, oh, my husband's job. And there was a a Naval Air Force base close. And they said, oh, is it the military? I was like, no, he's a pastor. And like, oh, and they just, I mean, kept rolling, did not change anything. And so there was something authentic and real about that, that I've grown to appreciate. So that was a little bit, you know, and then we say weird words, they say weird words, you know, it's all good. (laughs) Well, one of the things we love to ask our guest is to tell us about how you met the Lord and what that formative time of your life was and when that happened for you. So we'd love to hear that. Absolutely. Well, like you, Robin, um, grew up in the church. My dad was in full-time ministry and my mom served right alongside him. Um, Literally probably spent more time in the church building than I did at home. Um, We were at a church in Searcy, Arkansas, and I loved my preacher, Brother David Crouch, just loved him. And we were at a, pretty sure it was a county seat revival. You know, this is back in the 70s. And I remember sitting with one of the secretaries because my parents were always up doing stuff. And I saw my pastor down front during the invitation, right? And I was like, I want to go stand by him. And so I made my way down there. And then I got all of this praise and all of this attention. And growing up in the church, which I'm super thankful for, I could give you all the answers, right? If you want to know, I I could give that. Was it a a heart change and submission to the Lord? No, it wasn't. And I remember getting in the car that night and it was a big blue car with a big white heavy door. And I'm pretty sure I was in the front. This is the seventies. So it was probably legal then, but I should not have been. (laughs) I remember my sweet wise mama saying, Hey, do you know why you went down tonight? And I remember thinking, yeah, brother David was down there, you know? And she goes, I said, yeah. And I kind of stopped. And she said, did you go down because brother David was down there? And immediately I knew I would not get the attention. I knew that if I said yes, that that would stop it kind of right there. And I got to call my grandparents and I went through with baptism and all that kind of stuff. And then my mom and I would have good conversations. And then I kind of went through the Lord, if I'm not saved me, if I'm not saved, save me prayers, right? Just ridiculous. So I can't tell you the day or the time that that happened. I finally swallowed my pride as a teenager and went and got baptized. Um, 
knowing that that was the, I needed to follow through with believers baptism. And I look at my husband's story, which is totally something different. He can tell you the day, the time, the address. I mean, he can tell you everything about it. Mine was not, but I can tell you that I once was lost and now I'm found and that he is my Lord and my savior. And there are still times I have, you know, moment of faith. And then there's just so many times that I look back and think, Oh, now I understand. Now I get that. But mm-hmm. I had that childlike faith um, then. So growing up and, and knowing the truth, but it wasn't until I really understood my sin and my sin put him on the cross and that I was in need of that personally and that I confessed that. Yeah, I can't tell you the day or time, but he's my savior. That actually is in tune with probably many of our listeners who may think, well, I don't really have a day. Like I didn't write the date in my Bible, but the fact that Jesus is in my heart, that's certain. And I, there's no denying that he is, he is my Lord and savior. And so it may be a comforting connection with people that are listening saying, that's me too. That's my story. And it's no more or less valid than the next person's story who says, well, I remember the actual evening or the moment. And those are equally unique and valid. So it's kind of cool how our journey with the Lord, it's just as unique mm-hmm. as our life is. <laughs> our, yeah. Especially young. those of us that grew up in church, because mine is very similar. Like, I want to go down with everybody else. I want to get baptized and be center of attention. And then being at Falls Creek and being like, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm doing. So, yeah. Yeah. So and I'd, I'd love for you to tell us the story of how you met Gibson. So it was a Wednesday night and I was on staff at Northwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. And it was a church, I think, of probably about 800 at the time. And we had a really, several years before that, we had a thriving singles ministry. Well, that turns into a thriving young adult, young family ministry, right? So I was children's director and all these young families and all these wonderful people that just poured into me, but there were about two or three other people my age in that massive church. And so I remember it was a Wednesday night and he walked in and I met him and I went to Oklahoma Baptist. He went to the other OBU. And so we had some mutual friends and he met our pastor that night who fast forward, ended up discipling my husband, did our, I mean, just huge influence in our life. Um, everybody that night, they're like, Julie, did you see that young man? Did you see him? Did you see him? They all felt like it was their job to marry me off. So um, I didn't date a ton. That may shock you, but I did not date a ton, but I dated one guy that was younger and he broke my heart. So, you know, sound logic is better not date anybody young, right? Because that's going to happen again. And so when I found out that Gibson was a year and three months younger, I was like, sorry, I got to go, you know? So it took a little bit and um, I was trying to set him up with some of my friends. And so he would laugh about that. So finally we met, I think in October, but I think we went on our first date, maybe January or February. And then we got married the next November. Oh, wow. I love wow. it. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, a week shy of 26 and I'd been a bridesmaid, I think 13 times at that point. I was like, I just, I just need you to show up. I got it planned. Sometimes when you know, you know, right. And Julie, is my memory correct? Did I help you with your hair? You helped me probably with everything, Robin. Um, I yeah, I'm sure you did. Where, or was that at Kelly Ayler's wedding when I helped? Probably both. Maybe both. (laughs) 
And listeners, you you can't see the screen, but Julie is blessed with an amazing amount of thick, gorgeous hair. Like you could take my hair and hold it in a little tiny, tiny, tiny ponytail and then multiply it by 10. And that's about Julie's hair. So, (laughs) but we both have curls. And so that was fun. I have a fun memory of, of helping make your hair look amazing. You did look amazing. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you helped with all of those things because I, to this day, don't know how to do hair or makeup. And I have three girls. (laughs) (laughs) Do your girls care? Are they girly girls? Are they girly? Yeah. And I would say my oldest doesn't have hair like me. Um, My second one does. She, she always, you know, and, and then my Lily doesn't really care, but yeah, they both do makeup better than me. And I, I never even taught Kennedy how to use a curling iron. Cause I didn't know how <laughs> I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. So For those of you that have hair that doesn't have natural curl, you're probably like, this is not speaking my language. How do you not have a curling iron? But Julie doesn't need one, <laughs> but, and Jill can do every hairstyle in the entire world. And it looks great. She has all kinds mm-hmm. of cool hair options. <laughs> uh, she's like, whatever. <laughs> oh man. Well, we would really love for Julie to, for you to tell us about whatever the Lord has laid on your heart and our, of course, our title of our podcast, Afraid Not. And we know that everyone goes through trials and times that things are just hanging by a thread Every person listening has been in situations that they feel that way. And so as we share this story, we just hope that listeners are encouraged. So um, please just tell us your story and whatever, um, wherever you want to begin it. And we'll just listen. Sounds good. Well, when I look back over the past, um, I'll be 50 this year. Um, When I think about my first 28 years of life, I like to think of it as a season and fall is my favorite. And fall up in the Northeast is just gorgeous. Summer, fall, kind of my favorite. Had never really walked through anything difficult. My life wasn't perfect. My family was not perfect, anything like that. But I hadn't really struggled, per se, um, to this degree, at least. And um, I was 28 years old. Um, My first child was six months old. And um, my family walked through just a devastating um, divorce. And my, my dad, who was on staff at a church across town, um, ma- you know, made some poor choices and had an affair. And that led to my parents getting a divorce. Um, I will say, I'm going to share my story. This is what the Lord has taught me and how he brought me through My mom has her story. My brother has his story. My dad has his story. My husband has his story with this as well. And I'll share more at the end. Um, But as, as we walked through this for the first time, I had to rely on the word like I never had before. I knew these things and I, I knew they were true and I could tell you and I would, I would believe them, but I'd never had to place my faith in them like that. I'd never had to go, oh no, this is the food of my life right now. I'd never had to do that. Um, it was very public and it was very painful. Um, you know, if just an average person maybe walks through this, they probably don't lose their job, but that's where we were. And so um, my husband was on staff at Northwest at the, at the time, and he was starting a second campus, and it was kickoff Sunday. 
And while we were doing that across town at a middle school, Cooper's middle school, something in Putnam city district, um, they were reading my dad's resignation letter, resignation letter. Literally on the same Sunday as your kickoff Sunday. Yeah. Wow. And so I, you know, growing up in the church, there's, you know, good, great things. And I'm going to talk about that. But at the same time, sometimes you get in the mode, right? And my parents were servers and you go. And I was like, I got to do this. This is what we got to do. So I didn't always help healthily handle that. Sometimes I just went in go mode and thought, well, I'm serving the Lord instead of allowing him to heal me in some things. Um, but that was the same Sunday. And I'm pretty stubborn. I guess I can admit that pretty stubborn um, and pretty bold. And I'd been taught the word. I'm not the most academic person you're ever going to meet, but I've been taught the word. And as soon as I was taught things, I was like, okay, then that's the truth. That's the truth. This is what it is. And we're going to go with that. And so all of these things that were going on, I thought, well, I know this is true, but I'm, I'm doing good to breathe in and out right now. <laughs> right. I'm thinking I'm watching my mom. I'm watching my dad. I'm watching my brother. And all of a sudden it introduces fear into my marriage. Right. And we lived in a parsonage there at Northwest, literally the parking lot. And my sweet husband, whom I adore, um, if you know him well, you know that time being on time and time frames, not his forte. And he would walk across the parking lot and he'd be 15 minutes late. Now, 24 years later, I'm telling you, that's just, that's the norm. But we were pretty new. And immediately within that 15 minutes, I suspected that he was cheating. I had an idea of how I was going to support my family. It was just this constant battle in my heart and soul. And so I knew that what we were walking through wasn't God's plan. I knew that because I know what scripture says. And I began to see things in scripture come to life where it says that the enemy is the father of lies. I saw that in ways like I never saw before. And I saw how lies can just lead to deception and destruction and they have a ripple effect. They're not beyond God's redemptive grace, but you have to have a willing heart to be redeemed and to submit to that. And so I knew that all I had in those moments, I, I felt like that my feet were just on a round um, foundation and that everywhere I looked around me was just the abyss. And I felt like if I was going to take a step, it was gone. And so I would just stand there and think, okay, Jesus, I know you're here. I didn't, by his grace, my faith didn't waver. I didn't think that he wasn't real or any of those things. I just knew that he was literally all I had. That was it. It was him. That's it. And so I would sit there and I would think, okay, I'm going to stay right here today. I'm not going to move. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of my faith. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. And I'm just going to keep thinking and speaking those truths to my heart. And I, I would love to him, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Um, and looking full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth grow strangely dim. Because if I looked around at the abyss, <laughs> I would get completely overwhelmed. Um, and it kind of felt like that I was in a pit that I was trying to dig out of, right? Like a dirt pit. And just when I think I'm getting to the top, it's like more dirt comes and like getting poured on you. And so every day I think, okay, we're, and my personality is let's do this. We're going to fix it. I'm going to make it better. 
That didn't happen. And I had no power to do that, nor was it my place to do that. But I didn't know that at the time. Um, I will say that his word became my food. And that's not to sound spiritual. It literally was all I had. <laughs> it's all I knew. It, it was all that I had. And um, all of those verses that I'd memorized in GAs, in training union, in at, um, you know, VBS and youth group and fall shriek, all of those things that my whole life had led up to, those were dwelling in me. I didn't even remember some of them. And he would just bring them to my mind and bring them to my mind. And so that became the food and just kind of helped me breathe in and out at times. And the verse um, Deuteronomy 31, six and Hebrews 13, five, where it talks about how he said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And I knew that. I knew that when you walk through something like this, you, you do feel abandoned. You do feel left. But I knew that he promised that he wouldn't leave me or forsake me. And if I would fear something would happen with Gibson, I'd be like, but I know that he promised. And so I would, Gibson preaches a lot about letting truth drive the train. And I would say, Lord, I feel this way, but I know this is true. So I'm going to say this and I'm gonna, it's not a name and claim it thing <laughs> at all, but I'm going to, this is the truth. And this is what I'm going to believe. And I'm going to let my emotions follow this truth right here. So that verse became food to me. Um, I knew that he was who he says he was. And I knew that he did exactly what he said he did. And I knew he could do anything that he chose to do. So the pivotal point for me was, what if he chose not to restore my parents' marriage? Because in my mind, that's what needed to happen, right? Let's confess. Let's do this. Let's get it back. And as things progressed over a while, I could tell that's not the road we were on. That wasn't the road. So then it became, is he still good? Can I still trust him? In my mind, I can say yes, but I was going to have to step out in faith and say, yeah, I do. I don't like it. I don't agree, <laughs> but you're still good. And again, it wasn't because I was some spiritual giant. It was absolutely because it's all I had. It's all I, he was all I had. I couldn't do my own strength. Everything had just kind of blown up. And so I go back to those little foundations of this is who he says he is. I know he's not going to leave me. I know he's good because he can't be anything but that because that's his character and that's who he is. And that's what my parents taught me from the moment I can remember. So all of that foundation that had been building in me, I kind of feel like that was the little circle that I was standing on. All of those, all of those truths, even if, and I, I love my dad. We've, we've got a, a great relationship right now. And so even though he made some poor choices and all of those things, he's the one who taught me to line everything up with the word of God. And my mom did too, of course. But to, so then to kind of sit back and think, this doesn't line up. This doesn't line up, you know? And so sitting back and having to think, okay, Lord, you're going to have to do only what you can do. No words that I have, um, nothing that I can say or do is going to change any of that. There's something that only the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is going to have to do. And I can pray for that and I can encourage where I can, but there comes a point that it only has to be him. And so being the fixer that I am, even though I'm the baby of the family, <laughs> my brother's the, you know, very organized and 
fun, but he gets stuff done and you want him in charge of things. And I'm the baby. I'm the, you know, kind of, I wanted to fix it all. I wanted everything to be okay. And that wasn't, um, that wasn't where we we're going. And so walking through that, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, even if you choose not to, you're still good. And I love you. And I trust you. How do you, like, if somebody is going through something and they're like, I know this is the right thing. This is biblical. This is the way it's supposed to be but they're not doing what I'm praying for them to do. How do you answer that person uh, that God is still good, that he is, that he does hear us when we pray? You know, I'm trying to think of how I was doing that then versus 21 years later. Um, Now I've walked through some other seasons that I can see that this time in my life has helped me walk through the ones in the last 21 years, right? Um, I had to just make conscious decisions that, this, when I say it's all I had, I had to go back to, because I knew that the word was true. I knew that it was inerrant. I knew it was full of power and I know that it will accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. Um, I, I had to go back to, um, tr- it, it really is faith. And that sounds so almost trivial and yet so basic. And yet it's true. I had to trust him and I had to choose verses and choose them wisely in context of scripture. I think growing up sometimes, <laughs> so thankful, but sometimes so many verses, the hermeneutics of how I learned them and maybe how I tried to apply them are so false. <laughs> but my heart was, <laughs> you know, the intentions were pure. But going back and looking at some of these and um, really applying um, scripture correctly to my life and to my beliefs um, and how I lined up with him. So, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I'm just if someone's walking through that, if you have known the Lord for a long time, go back and see all the times of his faithfulness. All of those times, get those rocks of remembrance of all the things that he has done. And I can see them more clearly now, a lot of those. Um, I'm not sure if that answers. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's true. I think we do take these like touchstone verses that we put on the wall and all this, and we say, this is what this means. And we're not really looking at the context of how that was said. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Actually, we, my husband and I were talking just this week about a verse that fits this situation. It's Habakkuk 1.5. And listeners, Habakkuk, I don't know if you've read Habakkuk, but it's a little tiny minor prophet book. And it's really filled with the prophecies of because of Israel's disobedience, there's some bad stuff coming. You're about to be in exile. It's going to be really rough and bad. And Habakkuk 1.5 says, look at the nations and watch and be amazed. You will not believe what you were told to see what I'm going to do. And so <laughs> Chris actually years ago put that on our youth camp t-shirt as if it's like you're not going to believe how great it is all these things God's going to do but actually that verse is saying um you're going to be taken from your homeland for 70 years and they're going to everything's going to be awful so (laughs) just a little side note on how you're right the context of where a verse comes from really does play into how we pray to see it come about in our lives. Cause I wouldn't want Habakkuk one five to be on any like cross stitch pillow. in my house. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't want any of those destruction and uh, yeah. please and exile all that. Well, so, I, I would like to ask 
with um, this really, as you were 28 years old, Julie, when the basically kind of a bomb went off in your life, did it cause you to question things that you had believed in that relationship between you and your dad? Did it cause you to, to wonder like, what other things can I not trust about that? Or did, were you still able to trust everything else? Did it cause shakiness with other things too? That's a great question. You know, I, when I think back to some of my favorite things about my dad, um, I was a sports girl and he was a sports dad. And so I remember he taught me that my worth and my value came from the finished work of the cross. It did not come from the clothes that I had on. And this was back in, I mean, we're, I'm going to date myself here, but you know, late seventies, early eighties. And Esprit was real big. You remember Esprit and Jordan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted one of those and I don't never forget my dad. You know, we were, we couldn't afford those, you know? And my dad said, I remember when we used to wear the labels on the inside of our clothes and he just walked out, <laughs> and I was like, but I want this shirt. So I, 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 I'm thankful that he taught me where my worth and my value came from. Um, it's funny the things you remember. I remember he taught me how to rebound strong. I remember, I, I never doubted his love for me. As funny as that may sound, I never doubted his love for me. I didn't. Um, did it break trust for a while? Absolutely. Absolutely. I go back to thinking how sin doesn't change my relationship with the father, but it breaks fellowship. I am his and he is mine. I can't be taken out of his hands. I am my dad's daughter. I've got his bloods in my vein. He has blood in my vein. Like that, that will always be. Our relationship and our fellowship was broken for a while, but I was still his daughter. Um, and so I can't think of anything specific. Um, definitely confusion, you know, of just, but again, I think it goes back to seeing the enemy and the power of the enemy and the lies when believed what can happen. So how did you get past that with your husband? Cause like the rug has been, taken out from under you of your foundation with your parents' marriage. So I can see where that's, where you're going to question everything after that. How did you get to the place where you were like, we are not my parents? Yeah. The long journey. I I can't tell you that happened overnight. I will say we were blessed at the time with um, a wonderful pastor, Craig Etheridge and his wife, Liz. They're now at um, Colleyville. And he did he was just really good at um, helping us navigate some of this. I remember one of the things he said was he was talking about his own wife and he said, you know, all the girls have the emotional tanks, you know, when he was talking about whether it's physical touch or quality time or words of affirmation or security. And he was sharing. um, And I feel like it's okay to share because they've shared this before too, that um, when he and Liz got married, her security tank was huge, like the size of an ocean. And he describes it as if someone had gotten a um, screwdriver and just jammed holes in it all over it. So water was just constantly leaking. I remember Craig saying, I didn't put those holes there, but as my bride, it's part of my responsibility to help patch those up and keep that tank full. And that picture was really, really helpful for Gibson and I. Um, Gibson's family life is, you know, for another story as well, but he did not have that um, picture of a great healthy marriage. Um, and so we both kind of had to come into this, you know, all of a sudden making really 
I guess, purposeful choices um, and giving a lot of grace, a lot of grace. And we were, you know, we had never been married before. We had a, you know, we were about three years into our marriage. We had a six month old. And so working through the and starting a second campus and kind of throwing yourself into that without really taking care of the marriage, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, but I think since then, we've had to really work on our communication and expectations. And when you don't do these things, I feel this way. If, if you are a little late, this is what happens now. By God's grace, we've been able to move past that. <laughs> I don't I don't automatically jump down that, that hole anymore. So you said you were on this circle and there was abyss all around. How did you get from that place to of like, I can see things that are not emptiness and abyss anymore. How did you get, how did you get from that place to the, to the next? Sure. Definitely a journey. It wasn't like a one time a light bulb came on. Right. And to be honest, 21 years this month, 21 years later, I'm still kind of doing some things. I think the Lord in his grace, just when I think I'm getting, Oh, it's all good. He'll go, okay, now I'm going to reveal this and let's work on this. You know? So in his grace, he does it give it all to me at once. Um, I will say one of the beautiful things looking back was immediately um, the church, the big C church definitely loved me well. They loved my mom well. They loved my brother and his family well. Um, The church where my dad was, um, the church where Gibson and I were. We definitely could not have made it during that time without so many people. In fact, the day that my dad's resignation letter was read. I'm going to say her name, Sherry Blair Wagner. Love Sherry um, Blair so much. Wagner. I, yep, Wagner. Um, <laughs> Give her a Sherry Blair. <laughs> she always, right? It always goes together. You. Yeah. She came to our little parsonage and I knew it had been read and I was not wanting to talk to anybody. And so close the blinds. When you live in a parsonage anyway, you, you like close the blinds because if not, everybody's like knocked on your, so um, I think she may have knocked, but I didn't go. And I, I'm pretty sure it was a thing of bath and body. And she just left something out a little note. And it was just a, I love you. I love you. Um, were there some stinkers? Absolutely. We live in a fallen world, but the vast majority of people were kind and loving and supportive and reached out with everything from food to, do you need money? Does your mom need, I mean, like it was just, um, perfect. No, but vast majority gracious. Yeah, it was. And so I appreciate that. And I think because of that, that helped get through that time of the abyss. (laughs) You know, I think that just kind of helped me be able to be still for a little bit. And again, I, I did not do it well. We're starting the second campus and we've got small groups and I've got a, a six month old. And so in the name of Jesus, I tried to stay busy because that's what you do, right? You, you serve. Um, and so in doing so, I did not allow myself to heal. I did not um, allow some of those things for a while, which is not healthy, which is not healthy for my marriage, wasn't healthy for anything. Julie, what would you say if there is a listener that feels like, okay, I can really identify, I'm finding myself right now in a storm. So how would you advise if that person is a very giving person, they want to keep serving, they want to keep just, I got to, I got to keep teaching my class. I got to keep doing my little small group. I got to do everything. What would you say, knowing what you know now about the healing process that God brought you through? I think 
where I was, the answer is not the opposite. It doesn't mean the pendulum goes over here to where you don't do anything. I don't think that's the answer. Um, and I think maybe wrong. I'm not a counselor. I feel like sometimes things have shifted back now to where it means that I must stay home and not do anything and just focus on myself and get myself better. And I understand that. I, I think there, there could be a season for that. But sometimes when we put ourselves in that position and we isolate ourselves like that, or we're not in community of some kind, then the enemy can just come in and attack. And that's not how we can grow either. That's not what community looks like. And so I think I would encourage um, stepping back. You don't need to be in leadership. You're, you're pouring out constantly and you're not getting poured into. Um, that was my own fault. That wasn't anybody else's fault, but my own. Um, but I would say, find someone in the body where you are that can walk with you. If that's a professional counselor, great. If it's just an older woman or someone else, great. Um, but don't remove yourself completely. Don't still stay involved. Um, and even a, attending church, and I'm not saying just for the sake of marking it off, but there's beauty in the community. And there's a reason that we're all supposed to be there. We are all supposed to be there and not just sometimes, not when our kids don't have a game, not when we feel like it. Um, but there's a reason that I'm a part of this body because I could be a blessing to them, but they could be a blessing to me. There's a reason God has us together and that we can walk through some of this hard stuff together. If we, There's also an extreme of if we don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody what's going on, right? If, if we can keep our little facade up, we don't tell anybody, then everybody thinks it's great. And I've been there before. I've absolutely been there before. There's no healing in that whatsoever. There's no joy in that. There's no grace in that. And you're just suffering alone. And again, the enemy has just told you that you can't tell anybody because nobody else is suffering like this and you need to handle it yourself. Absolute lie. Absolute lie. So I'm not sure if I answered that again. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all, I mean, like, you know, the saying we're only sick is our biggest secret. So if we, if we do keep that secret, it just rots our bones. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So not that we have to tell everybody everything we know on Facebook. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's a balance. <laughs> so Julie, how many months or years were you still like, Lord, this is still what I really think is the best plan. I still think this is the best plan. And you're just praying so hard for, I want reconciliation. And please, and, you know, just imagining the scenario of it could all come back together and be fine. And all of this can just go away. How long did it take for you to recognize, actually, I need to trust God in the way this looks right now. And it may not ever happen that what I wanted may not happen. Because there may be somebody feeling that today. Like, it may not happen that I'm praying for this specific thing. What do we do? And how long did it take you to recognize, like, okay, I'm going to trust God and stop um, racing toward that because because you're not in control. You can't recognizing that. You know, as you say that, it's funny because I feel like both of those were true. I feel like those were simultaneously true of, even now, I mean, who doesn't want their parents' marriage restored? Right. That was the intentional purpose. Um, and again, I can share about this. Um, relationships can be restored to the point that they can be. And I love my dad. I, I obviously love my mom. I could, I could do a whole podcast on my sweet mama. But um, there's always that desire, right? 
And at the same time, I think I knew probably six months or so that I probably knew even earlier, but did not want to admit it to myself that it wasn't going to get restored in the way that I was hoping it would get restored. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think when adult children go through a divorce of their parents, like we're used to like, oh, the kids are going through divorce. They live with both parents. We got to figure this out. I mean, in schools, we're used to like working through that and helping them. But when you're an adult and it happens, it's a kind of a different kind of a thing. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I've so many times thought, wow, would this have been worse as a teenager or as a, as a you know, child versus now? Um, and I think it's all terrible, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. Gibson was probably in middle school, I think, when his parents got divorced. And so um, knowing what that was like and, yeah, having to back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And I think for me, um, being older and understanding more, knowing more, I think brought a different kind of, you know, kind of pain. Um, And then learning how to walk through that and how to love my mom well, how to um, trust my husband, you know. And I think one of the best blessings during that time was my daughter. I just was so thankful that I had her during that time. She brought joy in the midst of a really dark time, you know. Um, Just, I, I I look back at that and think, um, she was just a light during that time. So thankful. Mm-hmm. It's a good uh, reminder too of like, we get to a certain point that we think, oh, our parents have been married or whoever's been married this many years, they're fine. Like we don't worry about it anymore, but we always have to keep our marriages on guard because it happens sometimes when people are, I mean, we're never not getting enemy arrows thrown at us. So we can't ever take any of it for granted with a marriage. No, I think I heard somebody recently say, you don't coast into a good marriage. You don't coast. Just like you don't coast into a healthy body. <laughs> you have to be intentional, right? You have to be intentional and um, make a plan. You have to always be tending it and, and paying attention and checking and checking in. And it, it, it's work and it's fruitful and it's great and it, it can be fun but you can't just let it coast. And I'm for everybody, for me, that's not just my parents. That just means in general, you just right. can't. Right. It's good advice. And it's great to, in a moment of when things seem like peachy keen, everything's just fine. If we, as looking at our own marriages or even relationships that are special relationships within our families, we really should still continue fervently praying for our loved ones, fervently praying for our marriages, because if we let down the slack and our guard is down, our shield is down, then we are more susceptible. We are more susceptible to enemy attack. So that is our spiritual armor is such a gift that the Lord has given us in Ephesians 6. So listeners, if you want to check that out, Ephesians 6 lists out the weapons of our spiritual armor and our shield, our shield of faith is strengthened when we pray because we're telling the Lord about it and we're, we're letting it be 
we're asking for his blessings. We're asking for him to move and work as only he can. So we all need that every day. We need it. Yeah. So before we go, do you have any resources or any uh, like specific scriptures that you were like, as you said, you were eating those, if that was your meal, like what were some of the ones that really stood out? The biggest one was Psalms 84, five through six. And I'm pretty sure this is the NIV because when this was, this was a long time ago when (laughs) this version, this translation, but blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage or the journey as they path through, pass through the Valley of Baca, which translated means the Valley of Weeping. They make it a place of springs and the autumn rains also cover it with pools of blessing. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. And that picture of the um, Valley of Weeping, it was just an arid time and they were walking, um, journeying on the way to one of the celebrate one of the feasts. And they knew that being in the presence of God <laughs> couldn't take a dry, arid place into a beautiful pool of blessings. And the pool of blessing that I learned from this was the intimacy that I had with the Lord. And you don't know those things until you walk through something like this. And it got to the point that sometimes if I would see somebody walking through a hard time, I don't want this to sound twisted, but I would almost get jealous and think, you're about to know him in a deeper, more intimate way than you've ever known him before. And you can't know that until you're standing on that little circle because you're not trusting in anything else. And all of a sudden he reveals himself to you and you're able to see it better because you're not distracted by all of these things. Um, And so I'm thankful for those pools of blessings that I learned during that time. And I did walk through an arid valley of weeping and that the Lord can turn that even with things not restored fully, like I thought and hoped, but he can still turn that. And I look back and think, wow, Lord, I'm really thankful for all that you taught me during that time. Um, and the intimacy that I had with him. And that's the Philippians 3.10 for my determined purpose is that I may know you. Um, I know the amplified version because of one-on-one with God. But when Paul is saying my determined purpose is that I may know you and know you in your sufferings and your resurrection. And we we just can't know him apart from sufferings like that. You, it's just the the level of intimacy we just can't know. And so I would, that's something. And I would encourage people to, we've already talked about this, but make church a priority, not just church, but being a part of the community and model that for your kids and memorize his word, knowing that it's living and active. Um, memorize it, sing it, do whatever you have to do. Um, but Put the Lord's family as a priority and not as something second. Don't make your life, don't make church try to fit into your life, but make your life around that because it, it's not just something you check off, but it's critically important. And where we live today, and as kids are walking through this, I just feel like they need to know how to stand on truth and how to discern truth and know truth. And that has to be in our hearts. And so there's a man by the name of Paul McIntyre, and he writes children's songs that are just straight verses. And I love them because they have the reference in them. And so anytime you're singing them, you can always go back and know where it is. So that's awesome. You know, it also is a one final thought. I want to just say a big thank you for your example of choosing love and forgiveness when what the enemy would have loved is for you to still be filled with bitterness toward your dad. And instead 
God has done amazing things and you do not have that. You are filled with love and restoration and that is a gift. And so it's an example for us to see that even when the enemy does things that are so damaging in our families, it doesn't mean he gets the victory in the end. And it doesn't mean you're living your life in bitterness the rest of your life. And because of God's gifts to you, you're not living in that. You're living in a peaceful, joyful love relationship with your family now. And that's a, that's a gift from the And Lord. I think walk, one of the pools of blessings was knowing him intimately. The other part of the pools of blessings was that I think I truly understood in a deeper way, even my salvation, that I had sin. I was a sinner. I was destined for hell and death and eternal separation from him. And the only thing I brought to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And so the fact that I was saved by grace and as he revealed that to me and I didn't want to forgive, (laughs) um, I felt justified. I felt justified and I was right. This is wrong, you know, kind of a black and white thing. And just the Lord made it really clear to me that I deserve nothing but the grace that he gave me. And how can I, after receiving that grace, not extend that? And so it was very convicting to me. And I don't know that I'd had to go to that depth before. And I understand that forgiveness doesn't automatically equal trust, that that's built back. Um, But I couldn't, as a follower of Christ, not extend forgiveness. You just can't. Yeah, so true. Well, thank you, Julie, for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks. We love you, Julie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're so glad that you were here today. And I'm so grateful for Julie, for her testimony and sharing faithfully about her story. You know, it's obvious how she has spent time and effort really learning and memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. That's how she is on the other side of this trial. That's how the Lord brought her through. And I just am encouraged today by that and just reminded how important it is for me to be digging into the Word and memorizing it and meditating on it and letting it be the food for my soul like it was for Julie. Um, Yeah, I just really liked the reminder of staying alert and um, not coasting in our marriage. And also that we need to be connected to a community church. That's a very, very important part of this life. So listeners, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, share this show with a friend, and we will be back again in a couple weeks. We hope you're having a beautiful fall, y'all. Bye.